listening to First Church Charlotte. I want to get right into the scripture. Uh, I very much want to convey something that has been in my spirit uh, for the last few months, and I have struggled with a manner in which to organize it, to, to share it, to convey it. Um, and that is uh, this, this feeling I had that um, we need to work harder at talking about God with people, um, not just uh, our close friends who already know we're saved, sanctified, and going to heaven, but, but people that we come across in our daily life. And uh, my job as a pastor is really the job of an equipper. Read Ephesians 4. Uh, that is that is the job of our pastoral team. Yes, we do ministry. Um, yes, I teach and whatnot. Uh, yes, I work with uh, unbelievers. Yes, but really, the the role of the pastor the pastor in the New Testament is a role of the equipper. Uh, ministry is not uh, the the monopoly of my level. Uh, I hate to think in terms of levels, but you, I think it can be helpful to us, even though I hate it. Um, in this kingdom of God, uh, you know, the last is going to be first. Um, and so uh, I'm not trying to say that I, you know, I am at some higher place. Uh, that's, that's how would I know? That's for God to judge. You understand what I'm saying? But uh, people do look to pastoral leadership to help them uh, prepare, to help them know, to help them grow. Um, if as a pastoral team here at First Church, we think ministry is the purview of the pastoral staff, uh, we're not going to have a whole lot of ministry done. There's only there's only a handful of us. Um, however, if you look at the extended members and believers in our church, that's hundreds. And so that's what I want to I want to motive to how shall we say that's what I want to activate a ministry in your life and uh, where you work in your world. I believe you are sent. It's not just the apostles who were sent. Uh, it's not just the. Uh, you know, the First Testament church that was anointed and placed by God. Um, if we are the continuation of the work of God in the earth, uh, if we are to be the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, then we need to be effective, not just, you know, shouting loudly at church or waving our hands or clapping on beat, uh, but in the world we live in, in, in the generation we are a part of, in the community in which we are placed. And so I think... One of the most helpful things for us to be more effective would be to learn how and to be more comfortable with talking to people about God. Um, I am amazed at some of the uh, stories I hear of, uh, this is probably more on social media than anywhere else, but uh, people who think they're doing good uh, talking about God in a certain way, but they're actually doing harm. Um, they don't know it, but if you have any social skills, you can watch the reaction of the people they're talking to. Um, and if the reaction of the people to whom we are talking uh, leaves them less inclined to the way and the life of faith, if they think of churches and church people in a harsher light afterwards than they did before, uh, we failed at uh, manifesting the kingdom of God. It's like an, amb an ambassador uh, sent from one nation to another who offends the king of the neighboring country, do you see? So you're sent as an ambassador to the neighboring empire, and you are to reflect 
the wishes and uh, interests of your empire. I'm just using this terminology for the sake of clarity. And you get there, uh, and even if you accurately reflect the interests of your empire, your kingdom, your nation, <laughs> your whatever, um, you can do that and still offend the host nation. So that, that's a only reason why I would work that out is because that language is used in the scripture. We are ambassadors for uh, for Christ, and so we need to get better. We need to get more comfortable. We need to get more effective at talking to people about God. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter number seventeen. We're going to read there in just a moment. I want to point out a couple obvious things that will serve as an intro uh, to this this talk that we're going to do on talking to people about God. And truthfully, I'm probably going to spend a good amount of time throughout the fall um, and into the holidays talking about this subject of, of how do we talk to unbelievers about God without seeming weird. <laughs> now, this matters. This really, really matters. Um, we have to demonstrate faith without seeming um, weird in the sense of inclining people to turn away from faith. Um, I think we know, and you know what I mean when I say we need to know how to talk about God without seeming weird, because that it's it's pretty much a big deal. It is um, the, the, really the key on whether or not we're going to have effectiveness in any regard with the people in our world. You know you have a purpose, because you've been listening to me <laughs> talk at you for a long time. <laughs> um, you know you have a divine purpose. You know God has placed you. You know that you are um, not called to just hide with the holy and have kind of a, a tribal contempt for everybody outside the in-group. You know that. If you don't know what I mean by all that, I welcome you to read my book entitled Influence, Leading Like Jesus. Um, I go deep on that subject. Um, if you don't have a copy and you'd like one, if you can, I, I priced them as cheap as Amazon would let me price them. Um, but if you don't have, if you don't have one, you can't afford one, I'll give you one. If you're in our church, I'll give you one. Um, we have to be effective in this um, in this, this, this calling that is upon us. You know you have a purpose. You know how you, you, you have a calling. Um, we know how to speak to people that are like us. Most of us can do very good at speaking in our groups. So you can talk to people from your generation, around your age. You can talk to people from your ethnic background. Uh, you can talk to people about your level of education. Um, you can talk to people who work in your industry. That's not what's hard. Uh, what's hard is having influence beyond that. Now, to be honest, um, most of us feel a great inadequacy beyond those safe places in our life. Um, and I don't just mean other believers. I mean kind of your group. Um, in that era, in that generation, in that context, you have a lot of confidence. Uh, I, I do too. But outside of that, you start to wonder um, and fear. Uh, the result of only being able to speak to people like you um, is not that you don't have a witness. It's just that you only, you have a very small witness. Um, and you become, to everybody outside of that group you know how to talk to, uh, you're irrelevant outside of that group. Now, you're relevant inside that group. So take, take someone like me. I, I went to religious school. Um, I've, you know, <laughs> uh, I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up in the South. 
Uh, I've worked extensively in construction trades. Um, I've started business in con- businesses in construction trades. I have interests in uh, certain sports, certain, you get the idea. I'm great at talking to me. I talk to myself all day. <laughs> now, if I can't get beyond my little group, um, I'll be irrelevant for the calling. And the problem is, is the size of my field um, is much smaller my opportunity for real ministry is so compressed and constrained if I only know how to talk to me. So I want to, I want to grow, and I want you to grow uh, in this comfort zone of talking to people about God. And so we're going to look at a few things uh, right now, and then over the next few weeks, I'm going to strive to take a teaching approach where we start with someone's real-world emotion, uh, not what we wished they cared about, uh, not what we think they ought to do when they get their act together. That's, that's uh, honestly, at, a, at the evangelism level, that's unhelpful. Um, we'll start with real emotion, and then we will work our way from their real emotion to Bible and finally to promise. And I'm going to show you that here uh, in the scripture uh, we're reading, I ask you to turn to um, chapter 17 of the book of Acts, and we are going to read um, starting at, let's see, this is a little bit uh, extended. So let's start at verse number 22. Uh, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopolis and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Paul, what are you doing? Well, (laughs) this is real world, relevant, powerful, how to talk to people about God without seeming weird. All right? Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, or in verse 25, if you have your Bibles open. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men, one blood, every nation of men. (laughs) We'll talk about all this stuff. To dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord. This is so good in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Grope for, there's value in what you guys are doing around here. Okay, let me me get ahead of myself. Grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Watch this. As also some of your own poets have said, for we we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, uh, this is so good. Um, How would have you handled this situation? Um, I 
I would not have done anywhere as good. I would have not been on the same continent as good as Paul. Um, Paul shows us the way. This is real uh, cross-cultural evangelism. This is real uh, talking to people not of your group about God without seeming weird. So let me um, try to uh, give you a few principles that are manifest in this. And then as we start with real-world emotion from people that we know, and, we, and then we talk to them about God from that beginning. Um, in other words, we're not going to tell them where they should be. We're going to start wherever they are. Um, I'm going to give you some principles that hopefully in the coming weeks we will work out um, in a, a manner that we can learn, we can grow, and we can most importantly prepare. Um, so the first principle <clears throat> is uh, this. Uh, try to connect before you correct or there's a uh, really simple way to say the same thing. Uh, listen. Listen at least as much as you talk. Uh, Paul does not march in to this place of discussion and start preaching. Paul has been in the city talking. Read the chapter. Consider it homework. <laughs> Read the chapter. Paul has been in the city talking, conversing, listening, and he is invited to speak at this place of reflection, this place of debate, this place of philosophical musings. He's invited to speak there. He has already connected. If he had not connected, he would have had no opportunity to show them another way. We must connect before we correct. Now, that's a witty little kind of saying, but let me, there's probably a better way to say it, and that's, that's simply this, listen. When someone comes to us and expresses emotion that is beneath the surface of their life, that's a God moment. But if you immediately start lecturing and you have not connected at the level of their emotion, you're not going to get very far unless they are at such a place of desperation that they're ready to abandon their truth and wrap their arms around your truth in the hope of rescue. Now, that can happen. It happens at our church. Um, there's people that at the, they smashed rock bottom and they are ready to abandon their truth and accept someone else's truth. But that's not where most people live most of the time. And if we wait for those, uh, we will, uh, how shall we say, our fields to work in will be very small. Uh, there's a better lesson in what Paul is doing. Paul has connected with intelligent, reflective people, the kind of people who think about uh, eternity, the kind of people who think about what is the good life, the kind of people who think, <clears throat> what's the best manner in which to, to live my life, the kind of people who would go to the Areopolis and talk to others about, come let us reason together. How, how should we live? What is the good life? Um, what is the foundation of ethics? How should we live in relation one to another? These are reflective people. They don't need their light bill paid. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with that. We've all been in places where we need our light bill play, paid, and the church has seen a lot of people who came to God in desperate need, and now they have a testimony of stewardship. Now they are part of the support of the church. I'm not against that. I want you to see, however, the gift of what Paul is showing us. He's talking to real people about God. He's having God conversations with people who are not scraping the bottom of the barrel. I don't mean that in value. I mean that, mean that in a relative position. If they're desperate enough, they will 
they'll trade their truth in for whoever can rescue them. This is how cults are established. Most people aren't there. We want to be able to talk to normal people about God without seeming weird. In fact, one of the weaknesses, uh, one of the insecurities of the uh, apostolic movement over the years has been we've been so um, desperate to, to, to show people that we're not like other churches, that in some cases, we, we, we've had a lot of people we could have been more effective at ministering to who just turned away um, and went to another style of church uh, because we had a chip on our shoulder about how we're apostolic and we don't care what you, whether you can handle it or not. It, I think there's a, there has been a traditional... Um, I don't want to cast judgment. Uh, I just want, I, I feel like that has been a, a, a weakness in, in, in time, at times and at places. So uh, we want to do what Paul did. We want to be able to minister to the prisoner in the jailhouse, but we also want to be able to talk to real people who don't need to be rescued by our standards. They, all of them need God desperately. All of us need God desperately. But he shows us the ability to talk to people about God without seeming uh, weird. So what's the first thing? He's made connection before he ever got an invitation to speak at this place of their, um, of their philosophical uh, consideration and debate. He's already made connection. He didn't show up telling them they were wrong. He, show, he, he showed up and he talked and he listened and God demonstrated through him spiritual acts. This is uh, really the first step of how to talk to anybody about God in, in a way they can receive it. And so um, the second thing that I think Paul demonstrates here is um, Paul doesn't, he doesn't have this insecure need to, to dominate uh, the argument. He doesn't have this, uh, he doesn't have this need to be right. You see, if you need to be right so much, what it does is it basically closes the doors of connection to people. They pick up, that, pick up on that so fast, and they're done. Uh, now you're just kind of like another uh, angry person who's comfortable in your tribe, <laughs> your belief system, your world, but you can't deal with anybody else. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think that's a weakness in being effective at talking to people about God. Um, give up the need to be proven right. Um, people who are converted, I, I've known very, I'm trying to think of one person I've ever met um, who was converted because someone defeated them intellectually. Before you can defeat someone intellectually, they have long since written you off and exited. Um, that's, not how, that's not how we talk to people about God. Um, that's not how Jesus talked to people about God. Jesus would receive and ask questions. Sometimes he answered their questions. Sometimes he listened and gave them a better question that got to the heart of the matter. In other words, it saw beneath the surface of things. Lord, I pray we would be good at that. If we could get good at that one thing, our ability to talk to a modern generation and be effective, uh, say, with millennials and even... Uh, even the generation following millennials, um, I'm, a, I'm an Xer. Uh, millennials are after me. The ability to ask a better question immediately 
causes people to open open their heart because they see uh, uh, they have a sense of wisdom. This person's asking a better question. So um, we cannot get hung up on a need to to win by intellectual dominance to be right. Uh, the next thing is Paul uses their language. Um, Paul uses their language. Um, Paul would have offended a lot of the doctrinal warriors today. He would have. Um, If one of us did what Paul did right here, a lot of the Pharisee culture people would have written him off immediately. They would have they would have chopped him in pieces immediately. Why? Two reasons. <laughs> number two, number one, is Paul quotes from heathen philosophers. <gasps> Paul quotes from heathen philosophers. Why? Why does he do that? Does he think these heathen philo- philosophers have deep words of profound insight? Um, I don't think so. There are the people his audience respect. He is, he is wanting to connect with them. He knows there's no argument to be won yet. He knows before influence comes connection and trust. He, he knows this. He's giving us an example of talking about God <clears throat> outside of our little circles of safety. Cross-cultural evangelism, cross-generational evangelism. He's listening. Uh, he's not insecure in his need to dominate, be right. Um, he, can, he, can, he can listen. He can, he can let the conversation ebb and flow. Um, and thirdly, he, he uses their language. He quotes their philosophers. Two quotes Paul makes here. Uh, the first one is uh, from the poet Epimenides, and Paul quotes from him. And the second one is from the poems of Erratus. I think the second half of the fifth line of, uh, I think it's, I don't have it in my notes, but like an, it's like an ode to Zeus or something uh, from Aratus. Uh, Paul quotes from it uh, in this passage. Two heathen philosophers or poets, <clears throat> whatever you want to call them, Paul quotes from them. <clears throat> he does not quote from any of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, none of it. Does he believe it? Yes, but he's not trapped in this insecure, swaggering, tough guy, religious gang mentality. Um, he, he is able to listen. He's able to connect. He quotes from their philosophers. Uh, they, he would have been in, I know so many social media theologians who would have hammered him. I know so many of certain type of uh, minister, pastor, whatever, that would have just, they would have smashed him. You didn't even quote the Bible. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Um, the second thing that he does that uh, would have gotten him crucified if he was, you know, in nowadays by the armchair theologians uh, and some of the not so armed there, uh, some of the angry theologians. Um, Truth warriors, uh, he doesn't even mention Jesus by name. He just refers to a man. He doesn't even mention Jesus. Why? 
Does it, is it because he doesn't believe in Jesus? Oh, come on. No, <laughs> that's not it. That's not why he's quoting from their philosophers. And that's not why he's referring to Jesus as one who has died for their sins. That's not what he's doing. Um, he's trying to connect with them. Paul is showing us how to talk to people about God. More important than your truth is their place and their condition. Where are they at? They may not be ready for, you know, 12-week Bible study. <laughs> they may not be interested in uh, the things that you wish they were interested in. You have to be wise as a serpent to talk to people about God. Um, I want to be wise. I know you do too. And then the last thing that he does here, and we'll talk about this more, um, he points out to them that God is uh, all around them and that God is near to them. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is like putting your faith in, into language. Um, this is, it's almost as though you can feel Paul's faith. He sees all these unbelievers. They know nothing, but he has the sense that, man, God's near there's, it's almost like on the inside, his, his self-talk is going something like this. Man, there could be a revival with this group right here. God's not far from you. You, you, have the, you see this sense of faith and hope, not for himself, but for them. Oh man, God's all around you. They think of it as pantheism. He thinks of it as the presence of God. And he quotes their philosophers who are referring to pantheism. That's the belief that God is in the birds and the trees and and, and in essence, uh, not that God is their creator and manifest in them, but that uh, the, 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 the deity of God is expressed in its essence through them, pantheism. So uh, Paul, Paul, Paul is, he has the sense of faith, the sense of, man, God's not far. Imagine going to a place, going to a church, and they don't believe what you do, and they're, 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 they're in almost like theological opposition, and you walk in and you look around and you see these sincere people, and they're holding, you know, they're holding their Bibles, and they don't believe uh, like, like you would. But rather than feeling their stiff faces as uh, resistance or, or anger, uh, on the inside, you're saying to yourself, man, God is not far. There could be a breakthrough here. There could be an outpouring here. I'm, I'm telling you, it, that's what Paul is expressing right here. Paul, his whole talk leads to this sense of excitement that something is about to happen. God's not far from you. And then, and this is the last thing, Paul leaves them with promise. He gives them a picture of the resurrection. Um, this, oh, this is so good on how to talk to unbelievers about God without seeming like a weirdo. <laughs> he gives them a sense of promise. He doesn't prophesy over them. He gives them a sense of promise. Resurrection. Christ has rose from the dead. He doesn't even say the name of Jesus, but there is this palpable threading of promise and excitement and faith in the end of, of his teaching. Uh, leave them with a promise. Leave them with an uh, unspoken sense of faith and excitement. This is such, such a powerful, such an awesome thing to do with people. They're experiencing crisis and you're, you're listening and you're nodding along and you're saying, you know, I just, I feel like, I feel like something good could come out of this. I feel like God, 
God's closer than we think he is. Uh, this is, in, in many ways, the textbook on how to talk to people about God. So what are my goals with this, this, this style of Bible study that we're going to be doing for a while uh, through the fall? I want to start with a statement that I have heard people make. And then I want to, as it were, turn that into a Bible study. And then I want to end with how, um, how you could talk to this person who made this statement uh, about God. Um, you have family members who desperately need you to be comfortable talking about God with them in a manner that does not make them mad. If when Okay, good self-check for all of us, me included. If people get mad when I talk about God, hmm, warning light. If people get exasperated when I talk about God, warning light. If people want to change the subject when I talk about God, warning light. If people put that kind of pain smile on their face and nod while I talk about God, it is a warning light. So we want to talk to people about God in a powerful way that sets them up for a spiritual breakthrough. We'll talk more next week. All right, that's enough. Let's pray. Lord, we are seeking to be effective in your harvest. I'm praying that you would take your word, let your spirit educate us. You would let the scripture, the illustrations, the the teaching, the examples, the work of the apostles, let it be powerful in our life that we as your people can get very efficient and effective at talking to unchurched people about God and in some way leaving them with a sense of faith and hope, piquing their spiritual interest for the next step in their spiritual journey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We love you, God bless you. Remember our storm offering, uh, help us uh, help the people in Lake Charles. God bless you. See you Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.